Hi there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Good morning. It's good to be here together this morning. Um, I was at Harrisdale this morning, um, two weeks in a row. We had the commissioning service last week, but it's good to be home this week. Hey, um, on Friday, it was Valentine's Day, um, and I got my wife some roses, um, as, as you do, fellas, that's how you do it. Um, and um, on Friday, we celebrated four years as a church, so four years we had our, our first service out there on the grass under a big marquee um, four years ago on Friday. So uh, we're now officially four years old. Um, something else on Friday was that Pete and Di um, celebrated a lot longer than four years. How long has it been, Di? 50 years. 50 years. Uh, what, an, what an amazing achievement. We love you guys, love having you as a part of our fellowship, so congratulations on that achievement. Uh, it's a lot longer than four years, isn't it? It's good to see Rob with us as well. Rob's been out of action for a little while, um, had heart surgery, and uh, it's great to see you back on deck, mate, um, after what has been a pretty tumultuous time. But God's been good in the midst of all of that. Hey, um, over the course of this year, we're going to talk about um, a number of different topics that relate to being disciples, making disciples, And um, today we're going to talk about uh, finances and stewardship. And next week we're going to talk about stewardship in a different space. We're going to talk about stewardship of our time and talent. Um, And then we're going to talk about baptism. And then we're going to do another series and we're going to come back to the being and making disciples and look at a number of other different things uh, throughout the year. Because that's a part of our, that's a part of who we are. It's part of our vision and mission is that we're being and making disciples. When you think about discipleship, perhaps stewardship of finances or time and talent are not the kind of things that naturally jump to the forefront of our minds. But I think at a really practical level, um, these things are actually incredibly relevant to all of us. Um, How do we follow Jesus on a daily basis in every area of our lives? And so that's what we're talking about. How do we follow Jesus in the space of our finances? We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about money this morning. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I never like talking about money. Whenever, whenever Heather says, oh, babe, let's look, at our, let's look at our budget, I'm like, really? Can I just go to the dentist and get a tooth extracted without anaesthetic? And I hate the dentist, so that gives you some idea. Um, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about money. And let's face it, none of us feels entirely comfortable talking about money. I just want to acknowledge that up front. I also want to let you know that if you've been around Kerry for any length of time, I've been part of Kerry for about 19 years, and it's not something that we talk about that often, um, is, is this topic of money. But from time to time, we need to talk about that. We're a family, and families talk about money and finances and all those sorts of things. I want to be really clear about something else. I don't want anybody to feel like this is an extended offering speech. I don't want anybody to feel walk out of this place this morning feel guilty or manipulated. Um, I just want us to have an open conversation about finances. We're going to talk a little bit about where we're at as a church. But 
it is not my intention for anybody to feel, to walk out of this place feeling any of those things, okay? What this is intended to be is an invitation to discipleship. Um, it's intended to be an invitation to, hey, let's, let's talk about how we can follow God in every area, every area of our lives. And that includes how we follow him in this space of money. So we're going to look at what, a little bit about what the Bible says about money and giving within a church context, but there'll be principles that we can apply to other areas of life as well. Before we jump into um, the detail of what the Bible says, I just want to give you some context about where we're at as a church with our finances. Um, some of you may have been at our partnership meeting in December where we adopted our budget for, 2000, for 2020. And, um, and so the budget that we took, I'm going to show you in a moment is the one that was adopted at our partners meeting. So um, if you weren't there, this will give you a bit of a feel for where we're at, where we're going. If you were there, this will give you a little bit of an update on where we're currently at. Um, Another bit of background is that when you look at our church budget, it's really important to keep in mind the fact that we have two churches, one here at Forestdale, one at Harrisdale, but we have one board and we actually have one budget, okay? So our budget applies across both churches. So it's a consolidated budget. All this talk about finances and spreadsheets, I can see people who are accountants and they're just there ready to take notes. They're ready to, you know, they're the ones that are sitting there with a big smile. We're going to look at a spreadsheet. Everyone else is kind of sitting there thinking, oh, really? I promise you I'm going to share some exciting God stories. As we look at our budget, I'm going to tell you a couple of God stories, a couple of God moments, okay? So, so hang in there with me. So if we can just pop that spreadsheet up. Um, so last year's budget was... Seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars, triple seven. That's the God's. That's God's number, right? Uh, uh, we need to increase our budget this year, um, so it's gone up to eight hundred and four thousand dollars. So that's our budget. It's a pretty modest increase, three and a half percent. It's worth noting that both at Harrisdale and Forestdale, we've had two new appointments. So Harrisdale has appointed a new full-time associate pastor. That's Sarah. She's spoken here a couple of times, so you've probably met Sarah or heard heard her speak. And we've also appointed Shelby as our next gen, we have three days a week here. So she's, she looks after our kids and our youth. And both of them have been incredibly amazing appointments and both are doing uh, amazing work, both at Forestdale and Harrisdale. So looking at our income, it comes primarily from two, two uh, main sources. So CCR, that's Cary Community Resources. If you've ever bought a coffee or brunch or lunch at Timber, that's a part of Cary Community Resources. Jump Early Learning is a part of Cary Community Resources. Part of their purpose for being is to support ministry in the church, which is awesome for us because they contribute towards the cost of ministry in our church through profits that they make in their organisation. So last year, they supported us to the tune of 140,000. Yeah, they're supporting us to the tune of 175,000. That's consistent with who they are. They want to be able to support flourishing ministry. Our main search giving. And um, last year, we had a budget of 575. We finished with an actual um, giving level of 532. So we're a little bit under what we had budgeted. However, we expected to finish, finish the year a little bit more strongly um, than we were expecting to in around about October last year. 
So this year, our budget is 579,000, small increase, but it's an 8% increase on what we actually got last year. So last year, we actually received 532, so it's a little bit more than a 0.69 increase. It's an 8% increase on what we actually got. Historically, we factor in about a 5% increase, so there's a little bit of a step of faith for us in this budget. But God's always been faithful. We can probably take that down now. Oh, no, there's one more thing I need to talk to. There's one more thing, so you can leave that up there. Um, God's always been really faithful to us as a church, and I think we're in an exciting season. Um, the final thing that you will see up there is other revenue, and they amount of $100,000. We were getting towards the uh, end of 2018, and we were talking about our church budget for last year. And we're thinking we, we want to appoint Shelby, we want to appoint Sarah, but we didn't have the money. We didn't have enough money. Uh, and we were sitting in a November, our November 2018 budget meeting talking about, well, what does this look like? Came to that meeting kind of thinking, God, this, this is where we feel you're taking us, but we just don't have the money. At that meeting, Dave Kilpatrick, our director of ministries, rocks up to the meeting and we're kind of all feeling a bit, this is really what we feel God's taken us to. We can't afford it. And then Dave shared this story with us of uh, an individual who contacted to donate an amount of $100,000 to Kerry Church. This 100000 bucks just drops out of the sky. God just gives us this gift of $100,000. And it was like, man, how awesome is God? We could not see a way forward. And he's made a way forward for us. We were sitting in our budget meeting about November last year, and similarly, we were looking at our church budget and we're thinking, man, this is looking really tight. With another God, somebody, two individuals who contacted Dave and said, I just, I don't even know who Kerry is, but I just feel God stirring me to give 5,000 bucks. And it wasn't as much as the $100,000, but it was a reminder that God can provide for us from anywhere, through any, any means. So it was a really, really timely and encouraging reminder for us. As we sit and look at stuff like that, we can perhaps at times feel a bit, wow, that's tight, or how are we going to do that? But God has continually come through for us. He's continually provided for us. We can take that down now. I think even the accountants have probably uh, had enough of looking at all those numbers. Um, so now that we're all up to speed on our church budget, we're going to look at Scripture and see what it has to say about stewardship. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm just going to check that out if you want to jot that down, um, because we've got lots and lots of ground to cover. But our starting point is Psalm 24, Psalm 24, verses 1 to 2. We are going to read this scripture of that one. Yes, that's up there. So Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. This psalm opens with a really strong affirmation that God owns everything. He owns everything. And verse 2 goes on to tell us that he owns everything because he created everything. He creates and sustains all, sustains all things. In verse 2, there's that language around water and God creating sort of imagery that's used in Genesis, that idea of God creating all things. Beginning. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. Everything in this universe is completely and utterly dependent on God. And that's what David tells us in this psalm. 
And he kind of puts life into perspective for us. You know, living in the 21st century Western world, we can kind of have this mindset that um, I'm self-made. Uh, this, this I'll, I'll sort of, I'll determine how I spend it. But this psalm kind of tells us something different. Kind of says, hey, everything belongs to God. Stuff that we have, we get to steward that on his behalf. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I think that's actually a really good starting place for us as we think about our finances. God owns all that I am. He owns all that you are. He owns everything that we have. He owns everything that our eyes can see, including the earth that we stand on because he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. There's a couple of other principles in the Old Testament I want to just touch on. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably seen the bears going backwards and forwards up down the aisle. We talk about tithes and offerings. This idea of giving 10%, the word tithe means 10% or one-tenth. And the first mention of tithing in the Bible is actually in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14, 17 to 20. I won't read this one to you, but that one's reference to tithing in the Bible. And what's, what happens in that story is Abraham has been, Abram at that stage, he's been to war and he's won the battle and he's got all of this plunder that he's taken from the enemies and he's returning home with all of this plunder. And he bumps into this guy, Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek was a king and he was a priest. It was common practice to give tithes to kings and to priests. Genesis doesn't tell, tell us why um, why Abram gave a tithe to Melchizedek. He gave him one-tenth of the plunder that he was bringing back, the spoils of war. The Bible doesn't tell us why he gave him 10%, but he pronounced, Melchizedek pronounced a, priest, a priestly over Abram. So perhaps he gave him a tithe in response to that priestly blessing that he'd received. This idea of people giving 10% of their income, it became enshrined in the Old Testament law. So Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy has lots to say about tithing. In essence, all Jews gave 10% of their income um, and their income was generated through agriculture. So the Bible talks in Leviticus 27.30, for example, about bringing 10% of all that the earth produces. So every 10th sheep went to God, every 10th cow goes to God, um, 10% of my grain or my olives or whatever it is I've grown goes to God. But why did people tithe? Why did people tithe? I'm glad you asked. Left was God's way of providing for the priests. So God sets up this system of worship where there was priests and the whole tribe of Levi was um, a part of the priesthood. There were 12 tribes, and one of, one of the tribes, the tribe of Levi, worked in the tabernacle, worked in the temple, and they facilitated worship. They didn't get any land. All of the other 11 tribes received part of the land, this land that God promised them. They went in, they took the land, and they carved the land up, and 11 of the tribes got portions of land. So they set out boundaries and that was theirs and they could farm that and utilise that how they saw fit. The tribe of Levi didn't get any land. So God's way of providing for the tribe of Levi was through all the 11 other tribes giving 10%. The tithe was also used to support widows. It was used to support people who were financially vulnerable, people who were in need of some sort. 
That was another thing that the tithe was used for, and you can read about that in Deuteronomy 26.12. Deuteronomy 26.12. We're going to hop over to the New Testament now and see what the New Testament has to say about tithing. You might be surprised to know that the New Testament nowhere says you must give 10% tithe in the same way that the Old Testament does. New Testament doesn't do that. Some of you are kind of getting your party poppers ready, saying, you beauty. But the New Testament doesn't expressly overturn the principle of tithing. Where tithing is mentioned in the New Testament, so in the Gospels, tithing is mentioned, but it's within a context of Jesus being critical towards the Pharisees. So Matthew 23, 23, for example, I'll read this one to you, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, neglectless, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is critical here of the Pharisees because they showed real diligence when it came to tithing. For those of you that make curries or things that require spices, can you imagine going home and measuring out one-tenth of your spices and tithing that to God? But then you go down the street and kind of run somebody off the road that you're living next to that's in desperate need and you just overlook them. That's what Jesus is critical of. He's saying, hey, guys, um, you're tithing, you're tithing, but you're not looking after people well. You're not, you're not showing mercy. You're not showing justice. You're not showing faithfulness to people. And those things are actually far more important than you tithing 10% on your spice collection. The only other place that the Testament mentions tithing other than in the Gospels where Jesus criticises the Pharisees is in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer to the Hebrews is talking about uh, the story of Melchizedek. He talks about um, how... Um, Melchizedek received a tithe from Abram. But the purpose of Hebrews 7 is really to talk about the fact that Jesus himself was a priest in the order of Melchizedek and also to, to highlight the fact that Jesus is a priest superior, far superior to all of the Levitical the whole Levitical priesthood system that existed right throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is far superior to that. So that's, that's the purpose of Hebrews chapter 7. But the New Testament, although it doesn't extra 10%, it does reinforce principles that are associated with, with giving. So, for example, we should care for the poor, for the needy, for those who are vulnerable. And we see that in the early church in Acts chapter 4. There were people that, in, in, in the church that sold houses, they sold land, and they gave the proceeds to people who, in the, who were a part of their community who didn't have anything. I want to, <clears throat> sorry, I've jumped ahead of myself. So they cared for the poor and the needy. Just like the, the uh, Levites who served in the temple received support, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 and 14, about those who minister the gospel are entitled to receive financial support. So there's some, there's some um, similarities between the New Testament and the principles that we've spoken about in the Old. <clears throat> I just want to touch on one more passage, and I think this demonstrates a really, really important principle for us in this whole area of giving, and it's in 1 Corinthians 11, sorry, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2, and this is one we'll read, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2. 
running with this, the, the Bible references because I gave her a big long list and then I said, oh, babe, I'm not going to read most of them because there's too many. But we will read this one. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul was in the process of taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. So there were a lot of needy people in the church in Jerusalem, people who were struggling, really struggling financially. And so Paul writes to a whole bunch of churches that he's planted. He writes to the church in Galatia. He writes to the church in Corinth. In his letter to the Romans, in 2 Corinthians, he spends two whole chapters talking about this collection because he was so... He was so keen for the church to stand together and support those who were doing it tough in Jerusalem. Let me just highlight three quick points from verse 2 for you in 1 Corinthians 16. So 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, three quick fire points. So Paul instructs them to do this on the first day of every week. They met on a Sunday. And he instructs them, give on the first day of every week. So not that there's anything magic in giving on a specific day, but the point is there was repetition. There was intentionality. It was structured. It wasn't like a haphazard hit and miss kind of deal. <clears throat> Paul also says, when he writes to them, he says, each one of you, each one of you. So his invitation to give wasn't just to some of them. His invitation to give was to all of them. Nobody was exempt. Finally, he says, you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. This is a point that I find really interesting in this particular passage. Now, Paul himself had been a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament better than most people. And he was really familiar with the Old Testament principles of tithing. He could have kept it really, really simple for these guys and said, guys, I want you to all give 10%. I want you to all give 10%. But he doesn't do that. He asks them to set aside money in accordance with your income. So the amount that was set aside was to be in proportion to how much each person earned. It was in proportion to how much each person earned. So some might not have had capacity to give much, so they might have given a few percent. Others might have given five, some maybe 10. There might have been some high wealth individuals, so they gave 15 or 20. Or there might have been some budding millionaires, so they give 25%. We're not told, but the principle here that Paul was teaching is give in accordance with your capacity, in keeping with your income. There wasn't a one size fits all. So all the New Test although the New Testament doesn't expressly say, hey, I want you to all tithe 10%. In some ways, it actually lifts the bucks. Because if Paul had just said, hey, I want you to give 10%, you can give 10%, tick the box and move on. But Paul's saying, actually, there's some of you guys that have capacity to do more than that potentially. I think in a nutshell, the takeaway from that passage is simply this, live generously. Paul's telling them, live generously. Give generously. Give generously. One of the things that I have discovered in this journey, which has been a journey of ups and downs, but one of the things I've discovered is that my ability to live generously is linked with my capacity to trust in God. It's linked to my capacity to trust in God. Or put another way, the more I trust in God, the easier I find it to be more generous. It translates into an increased level of generosity. 
I'm going to tell you guys two stories about me. And um, they're both stories about cars. The first story is a good story. The second story is not such a good story. I'm going to make myself vulnerable to you all, okay? Make myself a bit vulnerable. So here's the first story. The first story, Heather and I were living in Melbourne. We'd been in Melbourne for five years. Uh, I was just finishing up a theological college. And um, we were packing up our stuff to come back to Perth. And we had this old 1978 Toyota Corolla. It was red. It had a white vinyl roof. Well, it was kind of grey by the time, you know, because it was a little bit older. But we loved that car. That little car took us all over Victoria. And everybody that visited us from Perth, we took that thing up to the snow, we changed on the wheels, we did so many trips down the Great Ocean Road. We went everywhere in that car, we loved that car. And we were gonna sell that car to come back to Perth. We felt God's doing, give that car away. You need to give that car away. It's like, God, just finished Bible college, we're not exactly flush with cash here. And you want us to give our most expensive, precious asset away. What is this? What is this? And I was living in a place at the time where I was, I was able to trust God. We'd seen God intervene in our lives in lots and lots of different ways, in miraculous ways. In fact, that little 1978 Toyota Corolla, about 18 months earlier, I think I might have shared this with you guys previously, but the battery died and it was constantly, we were having trouble, we were constantly having to get people to, to jumpstart it. Went out one morning, car wouldn't start. Didn't need a jump start that morning because there was a brand new battery sitting under a bush right next to it in the car. Started her up. Thank you, God. So living in a place where it felt easier to trust God because we were, we were, we were constantly experiencing that kind of thing. We gave the car away to a family in a church that we'd been at and they had four young kids and they did it financially tough and we we went back to Melbourne a number of years later and they just said, man, that car was such a massive blessing for us. We got to be an answer to their prayer. That's that's an example of living generously. Second story is not such a flattering story, for me anyway. It also involves a car. This time it was a Mitsubishi Magna. And um, we were looking to get rid of our Mitsubishi Magna and um, I wanted to sell it or trade it in. And there was a church, there was a, there was a local church. Um, we had friends at that church and this church had lots of people that were vulnerable, financially very, very vulnerable. And um, Heather came to me one day and she said, babe, give our car away to a family in that church. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't think so. I'm not feeling that leading. I'm not hearing God. I'm not hearing God. And we've got two young kids. We've got a mortgage. We've got bills. We've got credit cards. I'm, I'm just not hearing this. But my, my inability to trust God in that moment, my inability to trust God in that moment resulted in a lack of generosity on my part because I actually think, well, I know that Heather was right. A couple of months later, I'd sold, we sold the car, didn't get much for it, probably got a couple of thousand bucks from memory. And um, somebody from the church came to Heather a couple of months later and said, you know what, this person was ecstatic, like the, the top ecstatic, because she said to Heather, we have been praying for weeks that God would give a car for this family in our church. And somebody gave 
a car to that family. This man has now been able to get out and work. And I'm thinking, man, I've just blown it big time. It really cut me up, the fact that I knew in that moment that we should have been the answer to that prayer. I should have listened to my wife. I should have listened to that, God, I want you to trust me in this moment kind of call. I still regret that, but, but that experience has shaped my thinking. It shaped my heart. And I still get it completely wrong so often. Just ask me, I get it wrong. So I don't find it as easy as my wife does to live generously, to give generously. But I go back to that story and, and in those moments now, I, I have to ask myself the question, do I trust God to live generously? Do I trust God to provide? Do I really believe that the earth and everything in it belongs to him? So they're my, they're my, they're my two stories. One about, and discipleship's a bit like that, isn't it? It's a bit like there's uh, up and down. Sometimes we don't get it so right. But God's good. God still answered the prayer and family still got a car. He just used somebody else. We didn't get to be a part of blessing that family. We've covered a whole lot of ground this morning. And, and you guys are probably feeling a bit dizzy because we've just covered so much. But I just want to bring, bring it back and, and, and ask the question, in light of everything that we've spoken about, how might I respond? How might I respond? For some of us, our next step might be, we've never really seen giving as a priority. Maybe for some of us, it's just simply stepping out and giving something. Maybe that's your, your next step. Maybe your next step is to give more than you already give. Maybe, you, maybe your next step is to live, try and live generously. Or you might live really, really well. I know some people that live in And your next step is just to continually be, um, to continually trusting God. Continue to faithfully put one foot in front of the other and just continue to live generously. For each one of us, determining what our next step actually looks like is something for you to work out with God something for me to work out with God. Like I said at the start, this is not, this talk this morning, I don't want anybody to walk away feeling like they've just had a hard sell kind of talk. Um, Our church budget needs a bit of a lift, so Mark's given a pep talk. That's not what this is about. This is actually an invitation for each one of us to respond to God in his leading of us. It's about us taking our next step in our discipleship journey and working out the same things. How do you want me to respond? Take some time over the coming days and weeks to just sit with God, listen to him, pray, and ask God, what, what's my next step here? How, how do you want me to respond in this space? Let's pray. Father, help us as your people to hear your word to specifically help us to recognise that the earth and everything in it came into existence by you and that the earth and everything in it belongs to you. Help us to be people who live generously. We ask that you would make clear to each one of us what our next step should be. Help us to hear your word specifically to us so that we can follow you well in every area of our lives. Amen.